0: Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel.
1: And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture.
0: Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, and welcome to the 38th episode of the Farm Bits Podcast. As you may notice, if you're watching the video, or if you're just on audio, you may be missing Samantha's voice. For the first time, I'll be hosting a Farm Bits episode solo. Uh, As you may have heard, if you listened to our last episode here on the Farm Bits podcast, Samantha has completed her master's degree and has started a position as a developmental agronomist with Golden Harvest. Samantha made a significant impact on many people during her graduate program, and she will certainly be missed on our team. Uh, and I know that I'm missing co-hosting with her for this episode, and I will in the future for all of our future episodes as well. But we're very excited to see what she does next, and we look forward to having her on the podcast in the future or just hearing more from her and, and obviously staying connected. So if you'd like to stay connected with her as well, make sure you follow her on Twitter. This episode marks the conclusion of our nitrogen management series, and the focus of this episode is measuring nitrogen in the soil. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Jonathan Clausen as our guest for this episode. Dr. Clawson is an assistant professor in the Mechanical Engineering Department at Iowa State University. His research focuses on nanotechnology and sensor development with a multidisciplinary focus that includes both biomedical and environmental applications. To date, there have been very few, if any, robust soil nitrogen measurement sensors that have made it to the market, and we wanted to get Dr. Clawson's perspective on what makes nitrogen so hard to measure in the soil, and his insight from his lab group's innovation and their work on developing a sensor to overcome these challenges. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here's my interview with Dr. Jonathan Clausen. I
1: did my my undergraduate degree at the University of Minnesota in Mechanical Engineering. And then I went on to Purdue University to do my graduate uh, education. And there I was always interested in trying to learn more about nanotechnology and, and apply that to biological types of sensors. Um, I, I was really interested in, in biomedical diagnostics to begin with, but then it kind of um, brought into the environmental sensors and some of the sensors we'll, we'll talk about today. Um, but I did my master's in mechanical engineering, engineering at Purdue and then my PhD in biological engineering to gain a little more um, insight into the biological um, devices and and biology in general. And then I went on to do a postdoc at the University of California, San Diego um, in their nanotechnology department. Cool. And then after that, I uh, went ahead and did a postdoc at the U.S. Naval Research Lab in Washington, D.C. on more about <laughs> nanosensors and biology. And then in 2014, I ended up in Iowa State University as as an assistant professor.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So I guess you you do a lot of different types of research. You mentioned biological and, and kind of the biomedical side of, of engineering. Uh, and you mentioned the environmental side. How, how exactly is that breakdown right now in, in terms of your recent research since you've become an assistant professor at Iowa State?
1: Yeah, I definitely have gotten a lot more into the environmental sensing. It, it, I guess it kind of makes sense since uh, Iowa is more of an ag- agricultural-based state in terms of its its workforce and so forth. Um, but yeah, so I we do have some biomedical sensors. We do have, we're doing some wearable sensing uh, to look at um, hydration and fatigue levels uh, in sweat. Uh, but huh. then the majority of that beyond that is kind of. Uh, environmental sensing. So we have a USDA NIFA grant to look at um, a nutrient sensing in in um, or or pesticide sensing in 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 the environment and crops and so forth. Then an NSF grant to look at nutrient ion sensing in, in soils, huh. and also grant to look at Salmonella um, uh, in foodborne path uh, food other foodborne pathogens in food products. Um, and and also looking at uh, c- cattle disease biomarkers for huh. um, yonis disease, so yeah, we've really kind of <laughs> from farm animals to crops to to safety food safety. It's it's really revolved a lot about around agricultural yeah uh, products and sensors.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It seems like you're really diving into the the food system quite a bit, and and I guess I saw an article uh, and Samantha, you know, my former co-host as well. She saw an article that uh, suggest that you've been working on this, you know, nutrient sensor for the soil, specifically for nitrogen. Uh, and, and nitrogen is kind of the focus of the series that we're in now. So why exactly did you decide that you wanted to begin working on measuring nitrogen in the soil profile and, and how did that collaboration, you know, come about that collaborative research venture?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it's, 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 it's a huge issue. Um, and and it's pertinent to Iowa um Iowa southern minnesota and illinois really are, are three of the the largest um nutrient runoff pr- producers if you have from from their farms into the the mississippi watershed sure. um so so it's you know we hear about it often in the news and um and and I have worked on ion selective sensors before. Um, some of our wearable sensors are are detecting potassium, um, chloride, and sodium in sweat. And it seemed to us that you know we could use similar technology to detect um, nitrite, nitrate, and ammonium, and potentially phosphorus uh, in in soils as well. And and they worked really well. We you know our initial lab results we we're we we're so impressed that because they were they're working better than some of the commercial sensors that that we could buy and they're huh. holding up longer and a lot of the commercial sensors are are geared for working in water sure. and kind of in a pristine environment so we we realized that more engineering had to be done to make them more robust to actually work in in the
0: soil environment or soil slurries Sure. So is that the really the overarching goal of the project was to specifically develop that sensor and and then also offer some kind of robust testing or was it just laboratory testing? Did you get in the field, I guess, what what was kind of the scope of the project?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's ongoing. Um, We have tested it in the laboratory in various soil slurries that would mimic the, you know, the water content that you would find in the field. Um, sure. And this, and, and we're a little bit delayed because of um, last year with the <laughs> de- pandemic. Yeah. But this spring, as you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but this spring, we're 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 putting out sensors into two watersheds in Iowa, so that would be in water, and then also we're going to um, we have a housing to actually put it in a soil probe, and bury it at depth uh, in, in in some farm fields as well. So we both want to monitor in in kind of a completely aqueous water environment as well as as
0: soil, and in farm fields. And I imagine that's kind of to capture both the the runoff, the the runoff side of nitrogen as well as some of the the leaching and nitrogen content for whoever's trying to manage nitrogen on that field. Is that correct? Yep, exactly, exactly. The the leaching and runoff, but it also can help the farmer
1: know you know how much nitrogen is in that field and and. And now they they have more and more equipment where they can deliver that fertilizer throughout the growing season, um, even to corn and, and soybean and, and other row crops. Um, so, so this could be a way that they could gauge how much is there. And, you know, a third of their costs are roughly the fertilizer inputs. So if they can use... Less you know fertilizer and maintain their crop yields, that's that's a win-win
0: for the farmer and for the environment. Absolutely. So so I guess getting into the sensor a little bit more and specifically measuring nitrogen, these ions that you mentioned earlier, what exactly is it that makes nitrogen so hard to measure in general? Uh, and as you mentioned, I guess it's it's a little bit easier maybe in aqueous solutions and, and some of the commercial products don't necessarily do all that well. And w- so what makes it really hard about measuring nitrogen in the soil specifically um, for these sensors? Yeah, 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 exactly. So
1: in the soil, all that particular matter can foul or biofoul your sensor and kind of within time prevent those ions from actually reaching your sensor and, and making a reading. Okay. So that's why, in general, it's, it's more difficult um, than in water. Um, the The ion-selective membranes we work with too um, uh, do well when they're wet and they stay wet. But if they dry out and re-wet and then dry out, that's really that that cyclical pattern of of wetting it and drying it can really degrade that sensor quickly. And you can you kind of almost have to sometimes recalibrate it if it's been dry for too long. Sure. Um, so those are some issues that may occur in, in a soil environment versus, you know, the, sure. the water environment.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, so what exactly does a sensor or the device look like right now that, that your team is, has engineered and how is it kind of meeting some of those constraints? Yep. Yep. So
1: the sensors themselves are, are pr- pretty small. You know, they're they, they're the the working part of that sensor is 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 anywhere between three and five millimeters in diameter and we have it next to a reference electrode that's about the same size um okay. so we could have you can imagine those little little circular patterns on a single test platform device can be made for one could be sensing ammonium one could be sensing nitrite one could be sensing nitrite and and, and so forth um and and so, so it is a small package but what the the, the hardware around it though is is what is the bulk of it. So so we need to to interface it with um, uh, these polymer plastics that we use to package it and make a watertight seal around it so that the electrical connections can be made on the back end and, and it can stay in the water or soil and not, you know, and, and, and not have that water reach those electrical connections. And then we have to have sure. battery technology and then some sort of telemetry to, you know, sometimes we will can transmit that data wirelessly to, you know, a central server and, and pick up that
0: data or what have you. So, so it works very similar is something like a, a watermark or maybe, a, you know, some sort of capacitance probe for soil moisture that you would see out there commercially in the field. That's right. Yep, It yeah. looks very much like this, this, this capacitor. So soil moisture probes. Yep. got gotcha. you. So, so really a lot of the, the advances in the technology are centered around kind of this, the selective membrane that y'all are putting, putting out there uh, to select for these particular ions. So what exactly makes developing that membrane so challenging? And I guess what have been some of the innovative steps that y'all have taken to, um, you know, make these membranes and truly be able to select for nitrate ammonium nitrite and, and, and those sorts of ions
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah there's a lot of different issues that that go on um um in in making those constituents You, you need to have you know it's it's a hydrophobic membrane that needs to allow the ions to pass through it so it's kind of this porous net network um and then you have um ionophores that help shuttle those ions across that hydrophobic membrane to the sensor itself to to so that um a potential difference can be measured between that sensor and that reference electrode. Um and just the having the right mix of constituents to to make sure that it's selective um towards that that ion of interest and that other ions don't pass through that hydrophobic <laughs> or matrix. That, that's that's probably the one of the biggest challenges. Um, and and to you know and, and if you do that correctly and do that right, um and, and prevent particular matter from kind of getting in there too. Sometimes we have protective coating layers on top of it, then, then the signal can be can be stable and, and can can really last for you know weeks and up to months at a time. Um but if you if you have your membrane degrading in any way, um and and other ions of interest can get in there. Or other dirt, or other particles get in there. The sensor can quickly degrade and foul, and and not operate properly anymore.
0: Sure. And so you say, you know, we, weeks to months. And so, in terms of your your testing, I'm very interested in hearing some of these test results that you've had, both in terms of performance of the sensor for getting kind of the concentrations of these different nutrients right there in the soil, or even in the you know in an aqueous solution. And also, how is the robustness of the sensor performed uh, in terms of its longevity there in a soil environment, maybe versus a water environment?
1: Yep, yep. So we we still got to push further on the the soil test. But in the water so far, we've gotten it to work um, up to three months, um, continuously just dipped into the water itself. Um, And that's been in the laboratory setting, but we we don't see that it should change too much when you'd actually put it um, in, in a stream of water. Sure. Uh, I think the bigger concern is just with the, the wetting and drying that may occur in the Absolutely. soil environment. Yep. Um, so we'll we'll have to see how, how that's that's the big question once we get out to the front. You know, <laughs> sure. How, how will it work? We we've tested you know a wide variety of different um, saturation, level, water saturation levels for soils to try to get a feel for that, but we still. Sure. there's nothing like actual getting into the field and testing them. And that that would really tell us. Yeah,
0: I think I read in one of the articles that this is kind of a collaborative project with the University of Florida, or at least at one point, there was some collaboration with the University of Florida. Is there going to be an opportunity to kind of measure this in a lot of different environments? Because the soil types are very different, you know, in a lot of places in Iowa versus what they are in, in Florida. And, and, you know, as you go internationally, I mean, it's, you know, it's a totally different ballgame as well. So,
1: Exactly. Exactly. And and Florida is on kind of helping us make the telemetry and the wireless um, electronics needed to 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 make me- or, or remote uh, measurements in the soil. Um, and yeah, and that and that that is part of the the grant is is to test them in a wide variety of soils right here in the Midwest. Um, but also in in Florida, where the, you know it's more sandy or more clay yep. um, concentrations than, than maybe here. Um, so so that potentially we could get an idea of yeah maybe different membranes have to be constructed for those different soil types. Sure. Um and and that that might be the next step um, in the, in the research.
0: Sure. Yeah, that'll be really interesting because just thinking about you know how how clay soils you know, dry out versus how other, you know, sandier soils dry out and and how big of a change those, those wet versus dry extremes can have in the soil. I think that'll be a really interesting test to see how much those membranes really fatigue. And so in the lab, I, you know, just thinking about kind of the correlation and, and you talked about some of the commercial sensors out there that this sensor is actually performing better than some of those that are available. How, how well really has this sensor measured nitrate in these, these solutions there in the lab? Yeah, yeah. It's it's
1: been really good. So, you know, a lot of these other sensors are liquid junction sensors. They have a polymer. Um, oops, got a little. <laughs> uh, we've got a uh, and and so it's so a liquid junction sensor. So it has an electrolyte solution. So ours is a little bit different. Um, so we don't have to like regenerate an electrolyte solution like you would with those liquid junction ones that commercial ones are are operating on. Um and you know, the the solid contact electrodes that we use can can be more finicky um, in that it you know it might not be um harder to calibrate them, but but we you know we think we've come up with some methods to overcome those problems. Yeah. Um but yeah, so so since they're so uh simplistic um and you don't need that regeneration electrolyte, that that means that they can just sit in that solution or in that soil and run continuously for very long periods of time um so so that you know gives us promise or a reason to to keep pushing this and to keep working on it if we can overcome some of those those problems with them that they could potentially be really long lasting ion selective sensors
0: yes thinking about this practically you know is that is that calibration issue is that something that you would you would encounter only during say the manufacturer or, or the lab side of these sensors, or is that something that you would have to do when you went out to the field to calibrate them, you know, in some sort of solution and then put them kind of in, in the ground to continue sensing for the rest of the year?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, we might want to do like a three point calibration with them and give the, the person who, who uses them a uh, sample solutions to, to calibrate that them right, sure. right before them they use them the first time. You know, if you think about a pH probe in a chemistry lab, you Mm -hmm. usually have some sort of three point calibration with known pH um, solutions or or solutions with known pH. So so it it may be something like that. Um, It may be, you know, some sort of um, mixture that we have to add to the sensors as we put them into the ground for the first time to help make that calibration. Um, so, so those are things,
0: yeah, that we'll probably have to work on and, and figure out. Sure. Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of, you know, with, with the yield monitors, even I think about the fact that we try to get like a two or three point calibration, you know, for the yield monitor, make sure that the, the grain flow is being measured accurately at different speeds in the fields and, and different amounts of grain. So it's, it's definitely something that's, you know, you really can't get around when you have some sort of sensor that's measuring anything in a field or a laboratory. Th- thinking forward, you, what would be necessary, you know, we've talked about that we need, you really need to protect this membrane, what do you think is the most efficacious solution that may be uh, available out there and necessary to kind of push these membrane-based sensors to a commercial level uh, and maybe be a practical solution in the future for farmers?
1: There might be some, some filter technology that might help uh, filter out uh, particular particles uh, from reaching a sensitive components within the sensor that needs to be explored as well. Um, but but the polymers that we're using and 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 that I think many are using are you know pretty advanced and and I think we're getting to a point where these materials will hold up uh for for weeks and months and, and the critical months that would be important for in a farm field. So I'm hopeful that you know we could get them to last the entire growing season or the time during the growing season when it's needed. Sure. And then perhaps those membrane cartridges can be replaced and the electronics and the housing and so forth can be reused, of course. You were
0: talking about, you know, it had basically the sensor would have to cost pennies, right? To, to measure every single head of lettuce that's going through uh, kind of a food processing facility. In your experience going from, and maybe just in your observations, right, of, of the industry, going from a biomedical application where you can't afford to have more expensive sensors and getting to a, a low cost sensor for agriculture, what are some of the necessary steps that have to happen for a technology in order to to kind of bridge that gap? Because I imagine it's pretty substantial and I don't know if it's really more technical or more manufacturing or what really has to happen, but I'd be very curious to get your thoughts.
1: Yeah. I I think both, you know, in in the fabrication, fabrication standpoint, it, it needs to be something that can be scalable. So, you know, printing technologies things that can be work in roll-to-roll manufacturing. And that would be the only way that you can really make it that cheap per sensor. Um, so, you know, completely automation all the way to fabricating the, the, the electrical components of the sensor, um, you know, down to um, to functionalizing it with the chemicals and biologicals needed to make it selective to to whatever you're trying to detect so all that automation and fabrication but then if you you know if you look at okay that's how you need to fabricate it that that cost effectively then researchers need to look at well you know since we've been doing it so differently or or you know or we could we could manually pipette things <laughs> onto yeah. to a sensor or or maybe we're using silicon chips that are using clean room technology that the same type of technology that goes into a computer chip just really wouldn't be cost effective for these mass produced sensors. So, so yep. is there other fabrication needs that we can do? And then you have to then research ways to figure out, well, how can we still retain a high sensitivity and selectivity for the pathogens or, what, or other analytes that you're trying to detect by using these other fabrication techniques? So they kind of go sure. both in hand hand um in order to to push for agricultural space. So it's definitely, you know, we can we can pull things from biomedical, but we have to do more research to figure out
0: how to make it work in in the agriculture environment. That's that's super interesting and I don't know, I think it's interesting that you brought up automation again because it seems like in most cases right now that automation piece is really what is the um, the next step to a scalable solution in a lot of ways. I mean, if you think about digital ag and, and trying to implement precision maps, I mean, automation is, is kind of the next step to making sure that more people can do it effectively. And it sounds like even on the fabrication side uh, and scaling biomedical technologies that automation is, is really kind of the secret sauce there as well. I guess another thing that I'm, I'm kind of interested in is, you know, you're in kind of a, a different field, right, than agriculture, but you're still working on a lot of these agricultural problems. Is that is that something that you aim to continue to do in your lab with this environmental focus? Uh, and what do you think are the advantages to coming at an agricultural problem from a different discipline?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's really helped me actually. Um, and I, I do want to keep this kind of multidisciplinary approach to the lab because a lot of the things that we've developed with the wearable eye selective sensing, for example, making it flexible, form fitting to the body, making it robust and last long. Uh, can be used uh, in those agricultural um, types of sensors, and a lot of times um some of the technology sensor technology is is has been kind of pushed first in the biomedical um space just because the funding is larger there, and in your ability to um, you know the cost basis for this can can be much uh, greater um because because when you're dealing with the human health, human body. You know products can can cost quite a bit and and, and people are okay with that but then the agricultural space you know you can imagine you know having a foodborne pathogen detection sensor well if you're you know what are you going to test are you going <laughs> to test the rinse water or are you going yeah. to try to test every single head of lettuce that's going through well yep. that sensor has to cost pennies virtually um yep. so So, you know, we can develop, we've developed and come a long way in the biomedical space. And now I think it's time to hopefully learn how to lower the cost of some of these sensors and bring sure. them to the agricultural space and really push precision agriculture. And I, I think that's kind of in general where the, where the field is
0: going. <clears throat> that That's really cool to hear. And it, it kind of connects with two other interviews that we've had on the podcast. I think about our, we had an interview with, um, with Ryan Riguse from Bushel, and he was talking about how data can be hopefully used to kind of target Uh, health solutions, right? And kind of get people's diets in a a way that um, is, is pushing for better health. It's literally targeted precision for them. And Ranveer Chandra from Microsoft brought that up as well. And then I think about Pivot Bio, and he was saying that really he's hoping a lot of these um, testing procedures that have come out of COVID will eventually make their way into kind of the biological space and and help us do more rapid testing for different um, microbes, you know, in in the soil and and in other places. And so I think that's a really interesting interface between, you know, biomedical and the environmental side of sensing. so I, I, I guess on that on that front, what do you think are some of the other most exciting, besides nutrients, like some of the exciting potential for biosensors, maybe for measuring microbial, uh, uh, microbial communities within the soil or, or something like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of been a push too. You know, could we monitor enzymatic activity or, you know, other parameters in the soil? Um to kind of get the full picture of, of soil health, you know, we could do moisture, temperature, um, pH levels, um, you know, salt, different salts concentrations, and then maybe an overall microbial health, or, or at least get the picture of that. So that, yeah, the idea is that you can maximize that 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 soil health, so they can maximize crop yields, and and and, and not kind of had these dead zones in, in soils where. You know, things just don't grow anymore because it's just sure. you know, the soils yeah. are overworked. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something exciting, and I think there's there's that's exciting. I think you know there's there's opportunities for carbon sequestration as well. Yeah. Um, you know, could we could we sequester carbon, or how much carbon can be sequestered in the soils? Could farmers use that as potential um, offsets for companies that do emit a lot of emissions? I think sure. there's talk of that as well. Um, so, so I, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting
0: kind of dynamic yeah. things so, and, <laughs> and, and there's opportunities there for sure. Sure. And, and kind of on that carbon front, I mean, do you think it is, is possible to actually measure maybe how much carbon is, is increasing within the soil with a, a biosensor or, or some other type of sensor along the lines of the technology that you've already been working with? Yeah, we, we haven't looked into it yet. Um, but there's it it
1: seems like there may be some promise there to somehow get um you know the total you know carbon count so to speak um it 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 would be interesting you know if if you know if 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 we could do that um but i think those
0: are things that need to be still further explored so i guess as we we close out this episode it's uh one of the things we always do is we always ask you know what is somebody's final insight or piece of advice and so what i'd like to ask you today is what is some insight that you would like to leave our listeners with regarding like the importance of effective nitrogen management in agriculture and, and maybe even like working with new sensors and maybe some some piece of advice that you would offer for some of these new technologies that are coming out and becoming available
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, if anyone who's in working in the sensor field who are developing them, it's 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 always easy, especially with these ion-selective sensors, to to get the sensing range and detection limits we need. What's really difficult is selectivity, and it seems it seems like all sensors are like that. We have a lot of our um, uh, art research articles in the literature. And, and they, they kind of fall short because they never actually test in the biological medium that they're designed to test in, like like we test in the laboratory, but won't actually be tested in blood or saliva or in case of environmental sensors in in, in soil or, or, or in water in water environments. So so really I think selectivity is is, is the challenge. Um sure. and, and and in essence also the, the, the stability and durability because you know, in the biomedical space, it was it was diagnostics. This might be a one test and you're done. But in the agricultural field, you know, monitoring for weeks and months at the end is is a different ballgame. So new new efforts need to be made in terms of longevity for these sensors as well.
0: Thank you to Dr. Jonathan Clawson for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits Podcast. In this Zoom and work from home world that we live in, I appreciate your patience with the audio quality on this particular episode and on other episodes in the past. I hope that you're able to stick with the episode and really listen to Dr. Clausen because he offered many interesting insights during the episode that I think are valuable to anyone who's thinking about nitrogen measurements or monitoring in a soil environment. I thought one of the most interesting aspects of the episode was actually Dr. Clausen's perspective on the crossover between biomedical and environmental sensing. He talks about how there's a lot of scalability concerns that that and also expense concerns that are associated with transferring biomedical technologies to environmental applications such as in agriculture and particularly talking about for example you'd really have to make sensors cost pennies to measure every single head of lettuce for some sort of uh, foodborne pathogen uh, in a food processing facility. And so I think his perspective on what it really takes to get those technologies to agriculture was a really interesting, but also a lot of the crossover and some of the similarities between measuring say potassium or uh, chloride ions that are coming out in sweat uh, and you know, on a wearable sensor measuring those but also connecting that technology to measuring uh, with ion selectivity in the soil, such as for nitrogen monitoring and measurement. So I think there are a lot of interesting crossovers, and this is kind of a theme that's come up in other episodes as well, and it's something that we certainly should keep an eye on and maybe delve into a little bit further in future episodes of the Farm Bits podcast. So if you'd like for us to do that, please reach out to us, and otherwise, we look forward to getting started on our next series and our next episode, and we look forward to having you tune in. Now. Thanks.
1: Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the FarmBits Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content
0: each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes.
1: We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond.
0: The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We
1: look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bids.